From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you'd like to be a part of the program, give us a phone call at 833-288-EWTN. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is 1-205-271-2985. And if you are outside of North America, we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email, openline at ewtn.com. Or you can text your question to Father Wade. Text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for a response. Text your first name and your question. Message and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams. Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Kubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes. How are you? I'm doing great, Jack, and happy February 1st to all of you there at the network. It's uh, a a great uh, new month to enter into with a couple of great celebrations for the Catholic Church right at the beginning of it. You know, um, COVID-19 has had many uh, effects. There have been many ramifications culturally and otherwise, uh, but really one of the biggest uh, consequences of COVID-19 might be that it has pushed uh, St. Blaise to the front of the line, and uh, <laughs> right. he has probably been uh, besieged by intercessory requests uh, to get people's throats blessed, huh? That's right, and his feast day of February 3rd as an optional memorial on the Universal Calendar, Jack, comes a day after the uh, obligatory feast of the Presentation of the Lord, also known as the Purification of the Blessed Virgin, and also known as Candlemas. I want to talk about these two feast days side by side, February 2nd and February 3rd, respectively. You know, um, many good, strong Catholics who are Sunday Mass goers, but who are not, because maybe a work schedule, uh, are not a daily Mass goer, or maybe a couple times during the week, Monday through Saturday inclusive, um, they forget about St. Blaise and the blessing of throat. So I'd like to encourage my listeners uh, today with the live show and those listening to the podcast after the fact, after we air live this hour, to try to go to Mass, not only for the Feast of the Presentation tomorrow on the 2nd, but also on the Feast of St. Blaise, uh, February 3rd. Even call your parish first to see if if the priest will be uh, offering the sacramental blessing of throats with blessed candles that are blessed the day before 
on the Feast of the Presentation that we call Candlemas. So I want to talk about these two great feasts. You know, last week was the conversion of St. Paul on the 25th of January, and I said it's, it's probably one of the most overlooked solemnities in regards to what it means for each one of us and the beauty of conversion, you know? Well, I think the Feast of St. Blaise as, as a sacramental feast uh, in, and bringing to the fore the sacramentals of the Church, not the sacraments, but the sacramentals and what a sacramental is and what it means, um, gets overlooked. And, and it's a beautiful, beautiful optional memorial in honor of St. Blaise to remember the importance of sacramentals in our daily spiritual life. But the word Candlemas for February 2nd, Jack, is really synonymous with the Feast of the Purification of Mary, held on February 2nd, which commemorates the purification of the Blessed Virgin according to Mosaic law, 40 days after Christ's birth and the Feast of the Presentation of the Child Jesus in the Temple. Uh, Candles are blessed on this great day of February 2nd, and churches that will be used in the sacred liturgy in those very churches throughout the next year. People can also bring their personal candles for their homes to church on this day of February 2nd to be blessed during the opening ritual of the Mass. Often a lighted candle procession, which is optional for Candlemas Day, the the presentation of the Lord, is held to commemorate Christ as the light of revelation to the Gentiles and represents his entry into the temple. This is why we call it uh, Candlemas, uh, Candlemas Day, because of the blessing of candles. And again, uh, often a lighted procession is held to commemorate Christ as the light of the world, the light of revelation, we could say, uh, to the Gentiles, and represents his entry into the temple. Now, the next day, uh, February 3rd, St. Blaise, bishop and martyr of the early church, he was a bishop and martyr of Sebastia, Armenia, in modern-day Turkey. Uh, He suffered martyrdom in 316 AD during the persecution of the emperor Diocletian when he was captured, scourged, imprisoned, and beheaded. Though little is known about his life, St. Blaise is widely venerated as the patron saint of those with diseases of the throat, and I'll talk about that in just a moment, why that's the case. His feast day is celebrated with the blessing of throats the day after Candlemas, when the priest holds two tapers in a crossed position over the faithful's shoulders to touch the throat on the side with those tapers. The priest then speaks this blessing, Jack. It's very beautiful. Quote, through the intercession of St. Blaise, bishop and martyr, may God deliver you from every disease of the throat and from every other illness in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, imparting a blessing at which the recipient of the blessing of the throat responds, amen. These candles are usually blessed the day before, as I said, on February 2nd, the feast day of the presentation of the Lord in the temple during the rite of the blessing of candles at the beginning of Mass, also known as the purification of the Blessed Virgin. The blessing of throats tradition stems from two different stories from St. Blaise's life. In one story, a mother entreated St. Blaise to save her young son from choking on a fishbone that was stuck in his throat. The second story tells of a woman who visited St. Blaise in prison and brought two candles to help illuminate his cell where he had retreated for a life of prayer. Known also as a lover of animals, St. Blaise is said to have once escaped persecution by hiding in a cave that he later lived in, uh, a cave of wild animals where the animals offered him protection after he had healed them. 
St. Blaise is believed to have been gifted as a healer in, in general, uh, eventually becoming a physician of souls, guiding them with sound and devout spiritual direction. He then retired to this cave where he lived and remained in prayer, and people often turned to St. Blaise for healing miracles. In the Middle Ages, Jack Blaise became quite popular, and his legend as a beast tamer thus spread. Uh, he was then referred to as the Saint of the Wild Beasts, uh, kind of like you had to do, Jack, when you and Johnette married and you had to deal with Maggie May. You became the Beast Tamer, okay? <laughs> so so yeah, it is then all, that... Sa- all nine pounds of her. <laughs> That's right. So it is then that St. Blaise is often depicted holding two crossed candles in his hand, if you ever see a, a holy card of St. Blaise, for example, or in a cave with wild animals. He is often also shown with steel combs, huh? The similarity between the steel combs he was beaten with and the wool combs made a large contribution to St. Blaise's leadership as a patron saint of wool combers and of the wool trade industry uh, in particular, and that came in later centuries. So, you know, it's one of those feast days where we see a beautiful sacramental which always begins with a blessing and then can include an object, like, like a blessed rosary or a blessed crucifix, but it always begins with a blessing. And here we see the blessed tapers used to bless the throats of the individual based on these holy legends of St. Blaise, okay? And so it's, a, it's an optional memorial along with St. Ansgar, early church saint as well. But it's one of those feast days that if the person doesn't go to Mass daily, if they're not a daily Mass goer or a daily communicant, and you mention the blessing of throats, this has happened to me at parish missions when I happen to mention the St. Blaise, let's say, and they'll say, oh my gosh, I vaguely remember that when I was a little boy, or I vaguely remember that, Father Wade, when I was a little girl. I remember the blessing of throats, but I haven't done it for years. So because of that, and because St. Blaise falls on a, on a weekday this year, I want to encourage my listeners to call your local parish. Today's February 1st. See if Father's going to bless throats in two days on Wednesday the 3rd, and also try to go uh, to the feast day mass tomorrow of the presentation of our Lord in the temple. Uh, this is, these are beautiful, beautiful liturgical traditions within uh, the celebration of the sacred liturgy, which Vatican II teaches, is above all things the worship of the divine majesty. So call us today on the live show this hour about remembering St. Blaise, maybe when you were young, or other sacramentals you have used throughout your life growing up, huh? It could be a whole host of them. I've already mentioned the, the blessed crucifix. I've mentioned uh, the blessed rosary. How about statuary? How about blessed salt? Um, I I mentioned holy water. Uh, There's a whole host of sacramentals that we use within the life of the church and within the life of of the individual Christian. So let's give a call today and tell us what your use of sacramentals are. And when we come back, I'll give just a very, very brief overview about sacramentals in general. But we have the blessing of throats, the sacred heart enthronement of the home, the blessing of statues of saints, uh, the wearing of the brown scapular. Uh, There's all kinds. How about wearing religious medals of your confirmation patron or baptismal patron saint? There you go. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Three open lines at 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America... 
call 1-205-271-2985 or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, we have responsibilities as Catholic Christians here on earth and living in the culture but not of the culture. And we don't want you to miss the latest political and cultural reporting and analysis on topics of interest to Catholics and people of faith on The World Over with Raymond Arroyo. And you can get news from The World Over right into your email inbox every week. Just sign up today by visiting EWTN.com and click on subscribe. Still one open line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We're talking about the back-to-back feasts. Feasts. How am I doing? Feasts of Candlemas. and I knew what you meant. And St. Blaise (laughs) Feast Day. And candles are blessed on February 2nd, which instantaneously makes them sacramentals. That's right, and and especially during a pandemic, go get your throat blessed. Make time for Mass. Many parishes have early morning Masses, even at the 6 o'clock hour for the workers of the day, weekday Masses. You see this a lot in the inner cities, for example, but also in, in the suburb parishes. And then there's often a weekday afternoon Masses, like at 5 or 5.30, or maybe even, for example, a Wednesday night Mass at 7 o'clock. It's the only one held that late during the week because it's midweek, and so the, the parish offer, offers Mass at 7 o'clock. And also find out when confirmation Confessions are during the weekdays. If your parish offers weekday confessions along with their weekday mass times, uh, as opposed to just the Saturday confession times, which most parishes have, so so look into that. But I want to talk a little bit about sacramentals here, Jack. Sacramentals are objects or actions that the church uses after the manner of the seven sacraments in order to achieve, through the merits of the faithful, certain effects, mainly of a spiritual nature. But they differ from the seven sacraments. Sacramentals differ from the sacraments in not having been instituted by Jesus Christ to produce their effect in virtue of the ritual performed. Their efficacy, that is the efficacy of the sacramentals, depends not on the rite itself like the sacraments do, okay, as in the administration of the sacraments, but on the influence of prayerful petition, that of the person who uses them and of the church in approving their practice. The variety of sacramentals spans the whole range of times and places, words and actions, objects and gestures, the Catechism tells us, on the church's authority. And they draw not only on the personal dispositions of the individual, but on the merits and prayers of the whole mystical body of Christ, the church herself. Number 1667 of the Catechism says that Holy Mother Church has moreover instituted sacramentals. These are sacred signs which bear a resemblance to the sacraments. They signify effects, particularly of a spiritual nature, which are obtained through the intercession of the Church. In accordance with bishops' pastoral decisions, they can also respond to the needs, culture, and special history of the Christian people of a particular region or time. Sacramentals always include a prayer, often accompanied by a specific sign, such as the laying on of hands, the sign of the cross, or the sprinkling of holy water, which recalls one's baptism in Christ. And lastly, sacramentals derive from the baptismal priesthood. Every baptized person is called to be a blessing and to bless. Thus, lay people may preside at certain blessings. Uh, The more a blessing concerns ecclesial and sacramental life, the more its administration is reserved to the ordained ministry of the ministerial priesthood, like with bishops, deacons, or priests. And sacramentals not only confer 
Uh, sacramentals do not confer the grace of the Holy Spirit in the way that the seven sacraments do, but by the Church's prayer, they prepare us to receive grace and dispose us to cooperate with it, especially actual grace, where the sacraments impart sanctifying grace. So there you have it, huh? Uh, again, give us a call. Tell us what your use of sacramentals is in your, or use of sacramentals are in your spiritual life. Do you wear a religious medal faithfully of your patron saint? Maybe your baptismal name or your confirmation name. Things like that. Do you, do you have a, a blessed rosary that belonged to your great-great-grandmother at the end of the 1800s or early, early 1900s? Give us a call. Tell us about it. How have the sacramentals uh, of, and their use affected your life? 833-288-EWTN is that number, 833-288-3986. First up is Sean in Oxford, Michigan, listening to us on Sirius XM Channel 130. Sean, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Yes, hi, Father Wade. God bless you. It's so good to hear from you again. Thank you. Um, my question, I apologize, is not about sacramentals, even though I do use them often. I have uh, many around the house. Um, my question is regarding um, my son and his marriage to uh, his wife for 10 years. Um, she is a Muslim, and he had converted to Islam, but then reconverted back to Christianity. He's not a practicing Catholic, but he does uh, believe and goes to a church, and he knows the gospel, um, and he knows that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So how does it wash with his soul in front of God when he allows his wife to continue to practice Islam? Well, it doesn't so much have to do with his wife practicing Islam as it has more to do with the fact that he's left his Catholic faith. The Church permits a disparity of cult weddings with a proper dispensation from the Catholic Christian's bishop, and I doubt your son did that the way you just described how he left the Church, uh, married her, then came back to Christianity but not to the Catholic Church. So I doubt he got a disparity of cult dispensation from his bishop. So his marriage to her is not valid in the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ and his bride, the Catholic Church, but it could be uh, if if he got a proper dispensation to marry a Muslim woman, this Muslim woman. So again, it's not so much because she's a Catholic, uh, she's a Muslim, or or even if she was a, a another Christian, let's say, a, it wouldn't be because she was a Presbyterian or a Baptist. The the greater concern here lies in the fact that he's left the church. Um, so so disparity of cult, sometimes called disparity of worship weddings, is a detriment impediment in Roman Catholic canon law, a reason why a marriage cannot be validly contracted without a proper dispensation from the Catholic's bishop, the Catholic person's bishop, uh, stemming from one person being certainly baptized and the other one certainly not being baptized. So again, the Church permits a disparity of cult or a disparity of worship meaning they're different, they're completely different. Uh, if your son married a Presbyterian, it would not be considered disparity of cult, because uh, that Presbyterian is still a Christian, okay? That's a Catholic marrying a non-Catholic Christian. But 
literally a disparity of cult or disparity of worship uh, dispensation leading to the disparity of cult or disparity of worship wedding once the dispensation is granted by the bishop is when a a Catholic marries a non-Christian, and that's what your son has acquired invalidly in the church's eyes um, uh, by marrying the woman without the proper dispensation. So again, it's something, what your son has done, the church permits, but he didn't go through the proper channels to do it because he left the Catholic Church. So I would I would encourage him to return to the church. The good news here is that he sees merit in Christianity. He's returned to the Christian Church since he's married her. He must see something in Christianity that attracts him. Your goal is to show him that the beauty and fullness of the Christianity that he's attracted to uh, is in its fullness in the Catholic Church, the one holy Catholic and apostolic Church, which we know by those four marks that we profess in the creed, that we uh, live by living the sacraments and receiving the sacraments, especially regular Eucharist, the true body and blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we pursue virtue and virtuous living by all that the Church teaches through the sacred deposit of faith, through the three-legged stool of sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium, the teaching office of the Church, and, and live by uh, believing in the 40-plus in the truths of the Nicene Creed from 325 AD that are presented to us in, in uh, 12 articles. So, so this is your message to your son. Your goal is to love her, your daughter-in-law, uh, she is your civil daughter-in-law. She's not your sacramental daughter-in-law, but she's your civil daughter-in-law. You, you, wanna, you want to love her? Who knows? There could be a conversion down the road with her coming into the fullness of the Catholic faith by your son's witness to her as her civil spouse once he returns back actively to the Catholic Church. Never, never underestimate the power of God's uh, grace uh, transforming a person's life in a very short amount of time if the person shows goodwill. I, I could give witness for an hour on, on conversions that have been wrought by God's grace over a fairly short amount of time that have actually stuck. I mean, they've been very profound conversions of different degrees, a Catholic reverting back to the church, a non-Catholic Christian coming into the church, a non-Christian individual coming into the Catholic church, all, all the categories. So uh, never underestimate the hope. But, but the fact that, you're, that your son contracted a civil marriage with a, a Muslim woman it's not something that the church would never ever permit. The church would permit that if he sought out a proper dispensation for the disparity of cult. So hopefully that helps you out to be able to witness to him. Thank you so much. Uh, and any good canon law site uh, would, would be able to provide you with, with a commentary on more on the disparity of cult. God bless you now. Thank you so much. Next stop for us is Green Bay, Wisconsin. Barbara is in the great state of Wisconsin watching us on YouTube today. Barbara, you're on with Father Wade. Good afternoon, Father. Good afternoon. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to uh, tell you, with having the throats blessed on the Feast of St. Blaise is extremely um, important. My daughter had her throat blessed when she was three and a half years old. And in April, had a swelling of the soft tissue called the epiglottis, Mm. which can cause death and usually does if it's not caught. Mm. Um, they uh, inserted an air. They were able to, in that minute, as our doctor explained it, between life and death, put an airway in. 
and that saved her life. Wow. And I believe it was because of the blessing of her throat. Right, right. It could well have been. Could well have been. And, and this is why, remember, sacramentals increase grace in our life. They can surely aid us uh, as sacramentals in the life of grace, and the life of grace can be both spiritual and temporal and physical on how it affects us. And so uh, it's a, that's a great witness that, that you're sharing with all of us. Uh, how soon before she was diagnosed with this condition um, had she been had she had her throat blessed, or is this something you regularly did with her as your child annually, maybe because you went to daily Mass? Yeah, it would, would have been from the feast day February until April. Until Correct. April, okay. Very right. good. Yeah, and the children had their throats blessed as I did every year. It Beautiful. It when what day it was, they had their throats blessed because I just believed in it, and I still do. Yeah, amen, Barbara, amen. Well, thank you so much for a great witness call. Don't underestimate the power of the saints, huh? There, there are exemplars, and, and anything they work miraculously isn't of their own merit. It's through Jesus Christ working through them from the merits of the cross. Why? Because the saints have won the crown that does not wither. Uh, St. Paul says, we, you know, athletes deny themselves all sorts of things, right? For what? To, re- to win a crown of leaves that withers after three days? But we Christians, a crown that remains imperishable. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. With your questions questions and your testimonies of how sacramentals have uh, affected your life with Father Wade Menezes. Next stop is Owensboro, Kentucky, right in your backyard there, Father Wade. Father Ray, Father Ray, how am I doing? Father Wade, uh, Lisa is listening on Savior Radio. Lisa, you are on with Father Wade. Hello there, dear Father Wade. Hello, Lisa. Thank you for your call today from our diocesan sea yes. city. Yes, I'm so grateful to speak with you. Uh, my question is, and it's a very simple one, about sacramentals. If you have a sacramental and it has not been blessed, do you still receive graces? from that sacramental, such as a brown scapular? And that is my question. Boy, that's almost a trick question, Lisa, and I'll tell you why. First of all, all sacramentals take their effect as a sacramental per se by beginning with a blessing. Blessings are foremost. Uh, The Catechism is very clear about that. So that answers the first part of your question. But then you mentioned the brown scapular. The brown scapular is the only sacramental that I'm aware of that doesn't take its sacramental effect by having been blessed per se as an object. Rather, it takes its sacramental effect by virtue of the individual person having been officially enrolled in the brown scapular. This is why after wearing the brown scapular for a while, let's say a a woolen scapular for a while, and you properly dispose of it because over time, you know, it gets frayed or frail, uh, you know, body oil or sweat or whatever, and, and it's time to dispose of it to get a new one. When you put on the new one, the new one does not need to be blessed. You simply put on the new one, which would be the second one onward, 
the second. So, so I've been enrolled since 1991 in the Brown Scapular. So I've had many, many Brown Scapulars throughout my life, okay? Uh, per se, many, many Brown Scapulars. And other than that first one, which was blessed by holy water in the enrollment ritual, which enrolled me as a person in the confraternity of the Brown Scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, uh, other than that first one, the other ones do not need to be blessed. Now, can they still be blessed? Of course they can still be blessed. I'm just stating that it's the mind of the confraternity that they do not need to be blessed. But of course, you're welcome to bless them. So to answer the first part of your question, yes, sacramentals take their sacramental effect precisely by a blessing, per se. And blessings themselves can be sacramentals, okay? A father blessing his daughter before she goes off to college, for example, or blessing his, his son before he goes off to the military by, a, by saying a, a prayer with the sign of the cross with his right thumb on the son's forehead. That's a sacramental, okay? There's, there's blessings in the Roman Book of Blessings for this, okay? Um, for the parent imparted to the child. But then also, sacramentals can also be objects that are blessed, where in a blessing of a father to a child, you have the blessing of the child, but there's no really, uh, there's no uh, religious article that ends up being remaining as part, uh, ends up remaining as part of the blessing, like like blessing a crucifix is, or blessing a rosary is, or or blessing that first brown scapular in the enrollment. So so yes, the the, the sacramentals uh, are usually blessed if they're an object, or, or need to be blessed if they're an object per se, like a rosary or crucifix. But the brown scapular is a little different. The first one is blessed when the person is enrolled, and the ritual for that enrollment from the confraternity of Our Lady of Mount Carmel actually has the priest placing it over the person's head while saying the person's name. And that ritual also includes an actual sprinkling of the brown scapulars when they're still on, on a tray before they're imparted to the individual over the individual's head. But after that first brown scapular that you used at the enrollment, when you were actually enrolled, any subsequent brown scapular technically does not need to be blessed because it takes its sacramental effect by virtue of the person having been enrolled, not in virtue of the scapular being blessed. And maybe that's because it's the type of, of article that over time does need to be renewed because it will fray over time. It will become weak over time. And to, to, to properly dispose of a brown scapular, uh, I would recommend properly uh, burning it, um, wrapping it up simply in a paper towel or, or in, a, in a piece of newspaper reverently, and then just simply placing it in, in, a, in, in a fire that you make, maybe a backyard cookout or something, and just respectfully burn it because um, it served its purpose, and then just put the new one on. So I don't know if you meant that as a trick question, Lisa, but, but I'm so glad you asked it because it's a, it's a both and in the way you phrased the question. So thank you so much, and God bless you. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We go, Father Wade, from a discussion of Our Lady of Mount Carmel to Carmen, who is in the great state of Oklahoma, listening on Oklahoma Catholic Radio. Carmen, you're on with Father Wade. Thank you so much for taking my call, Father Wade. You're welcome, Carmen. Thank you. My testimony is in regard to blessed salt and also having a house blessing. Uh, several years ago, my cousin came, he's a priest, and he blessed our house after shortly after we'd moved into it. And then a couple years ago, I received some blessed salt in the mail some from somebody, I don't know, and so I sprinkled it around the outside of our house. Last Monday, a week ago Monday, 
Uh, I had been out of town, and I came home about 9.30 at night, pulled the car in the garage, got out of the garage, uh, car, and I smelled, sound like somebody was, smelled like somebody was uh, barbecuing. And I thought, who in the world would be barbecuing at 9.30 at night? Didn't think anything more about it. Put the garage door down, came in the house, was fixing myself a cup of tea, when all of a sudden at the front door somebody was banging and banging and saying, Carmen, Carmen, get out, get out, your, your yard's on fire. When I opened the front door, the entire front yard side and part of the backyard was on fire. Wow. They, the, neighbors, the neighbors had already called the fire department, and they came immediately and put it out. But my house was not touched at all. And wow. I really, truly believe it was because of the house blessing we had and also the blessed salt that protected, that protected my house. So what a beautiful What a beautiful witness testimony, Carmen. Thank you so much with the benefits of of blessed salt, which is used in exorcisms, I might add, um, mm-hmm. and also in the blessing of holy water used in exorcisms, where it can be used in exorcisms, but it's definitely used in the holy water used at exorcisms. So uh, what a great witness. You know, I, I want to make it clear to our listeners who maybe aren't Catholic this hour who are listening in, we do not see sacramentals as charms, good luck charms, or anything uh, in a superstitious manner. No. Listen to this. The Catechism is very clear in number 1670, the Universal Catholic Catechism of the Catholic Church. Sacramentals do not confer the grace of the Holy Spirit in the way that the seven sacraments do, but by the Church's prayer as the Bride of Christ, they prepare us to receive graces and dispose us to cooperate with it in the different circumstances of everyday life. For well-disposed members of the faithful, the liturgy of the sacraments and sacramentals sanctifies almost every event of their life, and I might add, even a house fire, because a house fire can be an event in your life. Um, The liturgy of the sacraments and sacramentals sanctifies almost every event of their lives with the divine grace which flows from the paschal mystery of the passion, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. From this source, all sacraments and sacramentals draw their power. There is scarcely any proper use of material things which cannot be thus directed toward the sanctification of men and the praise of Almighty God who gave us this beautiful world. So this is not charms, this is not good luck, this is not superstition. This uh, uh, springboards from the reality of the seven sacraments, what are called sacramentals, even though they differ from the sacraments, uh, they springboard in our belief and use of them from the life of the merits won for us through the paschal mystery of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, from his cross on Mount Calvary. So great witness, Carmen. Thank you so, so much. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next stop is Beaver Creek, Ohio. Laura, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Laura, you're on with Father Wade. Um, Hi, Father Wade. Hi, Laura. Thank you for your call today. Um, I was calling to tell you how I use and have sacramentals. Um, So... One sacramental I have, I wear every day, is a four-way cross. Um, I wear that every day. And then I have a St. Benedict bracelet that a friend gave me, and I just had it blessed today by the deacon at our church. Beautiful. And then I also use I use holy water. So when I, when I write letters or pay bills or whatever, I 
I bless each envelope with holy water. Beautiful. Wonderful. You're sanctifying different aspects of your life through the use of holy water. Uh, Laura, tell us what you mean. I think I know what you mean. Tell us what you mean by a four-way cross, so our listeners can understand that a little better. I always have to look it up because I forget everybody who's on it, but it is the Holy Spirit in the middle, mm-hmm. and I know it is the um, Mary conceived without sin, and I believe is a thing. Christopher, I always forget exactly who's on it to tell you the truth, but um, yeah, it's the... and it is called the four-way cross. If you, if you go to different religious catalogs, for example, even EWTNRC, you find it very, very easily by putting in those words four-way cross. So you were correct in using that phrase, and I knew what you meant, but I didn't know if our um, uh, listeners would, would all know. So there's different styles of the four-way cross. You might have the Holy Spirit dove in the center. You might have the Sacred Heart in the center. If it's a Marian four-way cross, you might have the Immaculate Heart. Uh, then you have the Sacred Heart, the Immaculate Heart. W- one of the one of the uh, four pieces on this one cross is the Miraculous Medal, usually, and the ones that I'm seeing online, uh, that I've seen online. And I believe uh, devout Catholic Laura Ingram, who has her own show on Fox News, uh, she has said publicly that a lot of people comment on her four-way cross. Um, and so uh, it's it's a way to witness. It's a beautiful way to witness. And so if you simply Google, for example, at, at EWTNRC, uh, or, or go to EWTNRC, uh, and then uh, on the search bar at the homepage, just put in four-way cross, you're going to see what is meant by that and the different varieties in style. Or on your search bar, whatever your search engine is, just on the search bar itself, put in four-way cross Catholic or Catholic four-way cross necklace or any, any words like that. And you'll see the beautiful varieties and be sure to get it blessed. It has all that beautiful imagery of our Lord, our Blessed Mother. I see one here that is uh, uh, specifically Josephite in nature. It's all images of St. Joseph with the Sacred Heart in the middle. Uh, St. Joseph is often associated with the Sacred Heart of his foster son. So beautiful, different styles of the four-way cross. Thank you so much for your call about that. We really appreciate it, Laura. Still time for your phone calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Steve in Fairfield, Pennsylvania, listening on the Amazon Echo. Steve, you're on with Father Wade. Hey, good afternoon, Father Wade. Good afternoon, Steve. Thanks for your call. Yes, so I wanted to talk a little bit about sacramentals. I have a miraculous medal that I wear um, that I've probably been wearing for, I don't know, 40 years now. No. Um, and then I also um, have a brown scapular that I wear. But I, also, I wanted to talk, get, share some thoughts of the rosary with you. So I, found, I find it interesting that the rosary, um, Our Lady described it as, as the weapon, and Padre Pio as well. Um, but, you know, it's a weapon that's shaped a lot like uh, David's sling. And I think it's kind of coincidental that David um, took five stones from a brook, similar to the five decades of the rosary. And <clears throat> I say the rosary every day, and I have um, four children and a wife, and I dedicate one decade to each of them every day. And to me, that's like um, like a, a, a stone I use every day to slay whatever Goliath they might have in their lives. Mm. So I just wanted to share those thoughts with you all. Well, Steve, what a great witness. As a husband and father, the, the, the priest of the home you are as a husband and father, the, 
The Christ figure in the home is another way of saying that. Uh, you know, and, and the Christ figure of the home, the priest figure of the home, is in charge of warding off uh, any and all evil from crossing the threshold into your home. And I, I commend you on your witness just now and how you worded everything. And, and to be quite honest with you, Steve, no, I had never thought of the, uh, the sling of, of David used against Goliath and the five uh, thin, shiny stones as, as uh, analogous to the five decades of the rosary, uh, a total of 20 mysteries when you include the five luminous mysteries, along with the joyful and the glorious and the sorrowful. We have 20 mysteries, but uh, even John Paul II said in his uh, October 2002 document where he promotes the five luminous mysteries, five decades a day remain the norm. So we have on Monday, for example, uh, the joyful mysteries, Tuesday the sorrowful, Wednesday the glorious, Thursday um, the luminous, and then Friday back to the sorrowful, Saturday back to the joyful, and Sunday on whatever liturgical season it is. So right now in ordinary time, we would pray the glorious, but during Lent on Sundays or Advent, uh, on, during Lent on Sundays, you'd pray the, the sorrowful, and then during Advent on Sundays, you'd pray the, uh, the, the joyful. So there's no, there's no rule that you have to follow that suit, but this is simply what John Paul II, now St. John Paul II, recommends in his October 2002 document, uh, Rosarium Virginis Mariae, wherein he promotes uh, the use of the five luminous mysteries. Uh, so that's a beautiful analogy that you make for us, Steve, and especially applying it uh, to your to your ch- your four children and your bride, your wife, who is the the church figure of the home, and again, you being the Christ figure, the priest figure. So, a fantastic witness and a great uh, witness analogy of of the rosary being being by analogy similar to um, the sling of of David in his fight against Goliath. So, and you're right, Padre Pio did uh, refer to the rosary as the weapon in several of his writings, in fact. And our Blessed Mother, of course, uh, while to my knowledge didn't use that phrase per se, she was very clear to the three shepherd children of Fatima, a fully approved apparition of her to the three shepherd children in Fatima, Portugal, from May through October of 1917. She made it very clear that the rosary, uh, when prayed faithfully, can bring about wonderful world peace between nations, especially in regards uh, to the threat at the time uh, of, of Russia. And the, remember, this was in 1917. That was the year of the Bolshevik Revolution. Uh, and that didn't happen until October of 1917. And here our ladies appearing from May through October of 17, once a month to the Three Shepherd Children. So very, very prophetic. Uh, are those apparitions of Fatima to the Three Shepherd Children are very, very prophetic, timely even for today. And the rosary is the weapon, and it, it is the means of world peace. And I, I like to also promote the Divine Mercy Chaplet as a sacramental. In fact, uh, one of my rosaries, and I use that, that word in quotes, uh, isn't a rosary. It's, it's designed visually to be a Divine Mercy Chaplet. So the centerpiece, for example, near the crucifix, is an image of St. Faustina on one side and the Divine Mercy image on the other side. But it has a five decades like a rosary because as you know, um, our listeners know, uh, those familiar with the Divine Mercy devotion, that our Lord revealed the chaplet to Faustina to use a regular rosary when you pray it. So as far as the bead count goes and the fact that it's broken down in five decades, it looks just like a rosary. But visually, it's designed not to be a rosary, Visually, it's designed to be a Divine Mercy Chaplet, and I use that when I pray my Divine Mercy Chaplet each day. So the Rosary, the Divine Mercy Chaplet, two beautiful sacramentals. Thank you, Steve, for a great witness about your husbandhood and fatherhood. We really appreciate it. 
We've got a treat for those of you that are early risers Monday through Friday at 5.15 a.m. Eastern Time. Check out Fire on Earth with Peter Herbeck. Peter provides a compelling look at the new evangelization through inspiring teachings, interviews, and testimonies. Peter's insights will help Catholics acquire the tools they need to do their part in the new evangelization. Peter Herbeck is is top shelf. You'll really enjoy this. 5.15 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. It's Fire on the Earth right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Chris in the great state of Colorado listening on the EWTN app. Chris, you're on with Father Wade. Hello, Father Wade. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. You're very welcome. Thank you. uh, I wanted to ask about a crucifix I have. It's been in the family at least a generation, and I'm 70. Uh, came down possibly from uh, my my aunt, who was a sister of charity. When I unscrewed the screw at the bottom of the crucifix, it opened, and inside it has little labels, Boniface, Ursula, Clement, Vincent, and Thecla, and under those tiny labels is a little whitish chip, and I think it must be relics. Yes, I would say so. Uh, Now, how authentic they are, we don't know unless papers accompany it. Um, But but chances are, the way you're describing it, not chances are, it it is a a relic, a reliquary made in the form of a cross, a reliquary made in the form of the cross. And, uh, you know, it's been handed down through a couple generations in your family. Who knows if it ever had papers, maybe the original uh, recipient from the Vatican had the papers and they've been lost over the years. Um, You know, with something like that, you can surely have the pious devotion to the saints that are mentioned on those little labels. Uh, Many of them sound like first century saints. Many, some, several of them were mentioned in the in the Roman canon um, of of the Mass, and then some later later saints as well in later centuries. So you can surely have the pious devotion without the papers. You just wouldn't have the certitude without the papers, and that's important when we have relics of saints. So it's it's little fine distinction. You can certainly have the pious devotion to them, especially given the fact that they are labeled, uh, but you wouldn't have the certitude without the official Vatican-sealed papers. So, uh, great witness. Thank you so much for, for letting us know about that. It sounds like a beautiful piece. It sounds like, a, again, a reliquary, meaning it holds relics, but it's in the form of a cross. Thank you so much. Patty is in the great state of Illinois, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Patty, you're on with Father Wade. Hi there. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Patty. Thanks for your call from Illinois. Oh, my pleasure. Um, I'm calling uh, because I have a set of rosary beads. I was married in 1993, and my aunt, she she had trouble with her hands, you know, very arthritic hands, and mm-hmm. she handmade me a rosary um, out mm-hmm. of crystals and silver, Mm. And the priest put it in the Bible during our Mass, and I say the rosary with it every day. Beautiful. And it it just, you know, to me, it's just a, I, I don't know if it's a perfect sacramental, but I love sure. it. 
Sure it is, especially if, if it's been blessed. And if it hasn't been blessed, you want to have it blessed, but I think you said it has been blessed. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful memento, not only from your aunt, but from, for that special day of your life. So uh, it's a, definitely a keepsake, maybe something you can pass on to a, a daughter, or if you don't have a daughter, maybe a niece, to keep it in, as a family heirloom. And maybe write out a little paragraph on a piece of paper that it, in an envelope that can always accompany it, that the next person who receives it, Patty, uh, would know the history of it. That's very, very important. Um, history and mystery, John Paul II would say, it, it, it's tied to our, our lives, our culture, our families. It's so, so important. Something that's great, greatly getting lost today with the fracturing of families and, and the family unit. So that's something you might want to do, Patty, is write a little paragraph, maybe, you know, not, not long, but maybe, uh, you know, a, a, a 10 to 15 sentence paragraph on, on the history of that rosary, the, the crystal and silver rosary, and what it's all about, and who was the maker of it, who was the first recipient of it, and now you're passing it on, and for each successive owner of it to put their name down and who they were in the family so that the successive generation will know about it. Beautiful, beautiful, Patty. Thank you so much for sharing. Leanne is in Dallas, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Leanne, you're on with Father Wade. Um, yes. Uh, my question is, um, my I always um, bless my children before they go to bed at night, and my eight eighth grader recently told me that I couldn't do that because I was not a priest. And so I was just wondering, yeah, <laughs> no. can I do it? Yeah, the great, great question. As I said in, in my opening comments, quoting number 1669 of the Catechism, you certainly can. Sacramentals derive from the baptismal priesthood of all the baptized. Every baptized person is called to be a blessing and to bless. Hence, lay people may preside at certain blessings, such as over children. The more a blessing concerns an ecclesial and sacramental life, the more its administration is reserved to the ordained ministry by bishops, priests, and deacons. So this is where the rubrics, the red rubrics, the red-worded rubrics in the, in the Roman ritual or the Book of Blessings uh, is so important, because you can see whether or not this can be carried out by a lay person or not, or whether it's reserved to a priest uh, and or a deacon, or only to a priest. Uh, bishops can do all of them, uh, but some, some blessings are even reserved only to priests alone and not deacons. So again, number 1669. I remember my mother blessing us each night when we were put to bed, and also I remember my my mother at the window, uh, once we were down at the end of our long lane, we, we grew up on a dairy farm, and at the end of our long lane, catching the bus in the morning during the seven o'clock hour, I remember my our mother at, at one of the bedroom windows, and I can remember still seeing her hand moving in the form of a cross, in the sign of the cross, blessing us as we got on the bus. And I, I think those blessings have a lot to do with my discerning the priesthood eventually. It took me a while. I didn't discern it till I was 27, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, God had, had, a, had a plan for me. So I, I like to think that my mom and my dad's blessings over us uh, were, were uh, a part of that call. And, and to my siblings and their wonderful marriages, uh, same thing, uh, that they found their vocation. A lot of that had to do with uh, our parents' blessings. So yes, parents can bless. And again, I, I'd refer you to number 1669 of the Catechism, but really the whole section, 1668 through 1672. 1668 through 1672. Great call, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. Where do I go if I want to be an itinerant missionary preacher? You go to fathersofmercy.com. And drop about 20 years.
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yes, Jack. We look at 18 to 40, Jack, so sorry. You're, you're stuck with Johnette, but I don't think you're too sad about that. I am not too sad about that at all. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners. Remain with each and every one of you this day and always. Share today's live feed from YouTube with your family and friends and evangelize about sacramentals from today's show. And St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch on Open Line Wednesday. Until then, God bless.